Grace and peace in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to this 11th week in our ongoing Bible study series in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise for your provision of your word in sacred scripture. As we prepare to open up your word, might your Holy Spirit grant us wisdom and guide us into all truth. Help us, O Lord, to see and to receive your voice and your word of love to us. Oh God, I pray for my sisters and brothers in Christ as, as we all prepare to study your word. Might you, O oh Lord, disclose to us the message that you would have us to learn today. For we pray these things in the blessed name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone says, Amen. Our text for this week is from Romans chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 21. Let us hear and receive the word of the Lord. What then are we to say? Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness have attained, have attained it, that is, righteousness through faith. But Israel, who did strive for the righteousness that is based on the law, did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Why not? Because they did not strive for it on the basis of faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will make them fall, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one who believes with the heart and so is justified, and one who confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on, whom, on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. But I ask have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, 
I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of God for the people of God, holy wisdom, holy words. And everyone says, thanks be to God. Well, in this ongoing series in uh, uh, the epistle to the, to the Romans, we see here, of course, that uh, this is God's message for us and to the early church, to all uh, generations of God's people, in emphasizing again of God's saving work in Jesus Christ, of God's uh, divine and loving intentions for all of humanity, that all of humanity would come to know uh, the love and knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, that that work of salvation, that work of reconciliation has been and is being revealed to all of God's people for generations. And that disclosure, that revelation of what God's intentions are, God's loving intentions are, um, has been shown through, for instance, the commandments, the law, that those uh, laws that were issued through Moses and fulfilled in Jesus Christ is one, um, one incredible way, uh, one major way in which God discloses his heart. Um, the question is, is how has the law been interpreted? How has the law been understood? What was the intention? For some, um, for many, um, both for Israel and for Gentiles, for, for, for human beings, uh, that the law was regarded and is regarded as a means by which we could make ourselves right, that we could somehow please God by doing the law. And in, here in this uh, letter to Romans and in our text today, we'll see how God's intention for the law was, um, yes, to for us to follow, but not to be stuck in the law as Israel did and um, as human beings do. Uh, that we often see that the law in itself is, is the goal, when in fact the purpose of the law was to show um, that we need God, that in our trying to do the law, in our trying to follow the law as best as we can, that we fall short, that all of us fall short, and that in falling short, that we need to direct our attention to the one who gave the law, the one who is the substance of the law, the one who is the, the content of the law, uh, who is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the one who followed the law perfectly. So what we'll see here in this text is that God is so zealous. God has a zeal, has a passion for us. Um, and that while human beings are so passionate in trying to follow the law or trying to do things our own way, God is, uh, is passionate for us. Uh, where we tend to get stuck in following uh, or in lording over others who don't follow perhaps as, as, as well as we think we do. Um, God's point, God's desire is that we would delight in Him, that we would find our life, our love, the meaning of life, not in the law, but in the one who gave the law, God Himself. And so we see first in our first section here in your outline, in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 33, 
um, that God is the one who makes things right. God's righteousness, God's righteousness is understood as uh, his covenantal faithfulness, um, that he desires, he already uh, intentioned in himself, that he is committed, God is committed to make things right, that where sin entered the relationship, where sin entered humanity's heart, God desires to make things right because we can't make things right on our own. We don't have the will. Uh, we don't have what it takes in order to make things right. So God did it. And so therefore God is righteous because he desires to reconcile us to him and reconcile us to one another. So God is the one who effects righteousness. He makes it, he makes it happen. Um, so humanity doesn't achieve rightness with God. Um, God is the one who effects righteousness, and he is committed to that goal. He is committed. He has promised to do so, and when God promises to do so, and when God wills for, for something to happen, it will happen, right? Now, it says here in the text that Gentiles attained righteousness not by human effort, but uh, by through faith. Now, this is not to, the, to exclude Israel because um, uh, Israel also followed in faith, but what happened, as the text says, is that um, many in Israel um, saw the law and tried to attain the law, that, uh, that trying to, uh, to follow as best as they could. Of course, they, they and we fall short. Um, and, but faith itself, faith itself is from God. Uh, Israel somehow saw, many in Israel saw that the law as the means by which righteousness is to be achieved. But it's not the law per se that achieves righteousness, right? But the lawgiver, as I said, is the one who makes things right. Um, and so it's not so much the law itself, and but the fault was, was that uh, misinterpretation or misunderstanding that the doing of the law was somehow the goal when it's not. The law does reflect the heart of God. And so we do see uh, that in the law, uh, the law does reflect the character of God, its truth, and its, uh, its call for uh, observance of, of the Sabbath, for instance, or not to lie, not to steal, not to murder. All those things in the Ten Commandments are, are uh, displays and demonstrations of God's own character. Uh, but the law itself is not God, right? God is God. God is a person. Uh, and so uh, to see that behind the law, the substance of the law is God himself. And so merely following the law or trying to follow the law tends to make the heart prideful. We, we tend, our heart, our human heart tends to be prideful when we accomplish the law or if we don't follow the law as best as we could, we might be in despair or be filled with guilt. Um, or if we find that there are others who are not following as, as we are or, 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 or not trying as hard as we are, we tend to lord it over. And there's no love in that, right? And so God knows the intentions and tendencies of the human heart. The text says there that Jesus Christ... Uh, in verse 33, that Jesus Christ is both the reliable stone, the stone in Zion that has been laid down, and the stumbling block. 
Jesus Christ, the stone of Zion, is both the reliable stone and the stumbling stone. Now, how is Jesus Christ the reliable stone? He's the rock. Well, he's the rock of our lives. Uh, we can count on him. He is true and trustworthy. He is a stumbling block because for those who are accustomed to following the law, Jesus Christ makes them stumble. That means trip over the stone. Now, how is that? I'll give you an example. Uh, Recall that in several of the Gospels, Luke 13, Mark chapter 3, John chapter 5, where Jesus has a lesson about the Sabbath and people who, uh, who saw the law and said, of course, in the, uh, in the fourth commandment um, to observe the Sabbath and follow that. And they thought, okay, well, that's it. Just follow the Sabbath. Well, remember in those texts when Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and he was teaching that the Sabbath is about, yeah, it is about keeping keeping a day sacred and, and resting, but resting in the love of God. Well, how can those who are sick um, rest when they're struggling with their illnesses, with their ailments? And so God heals. God, uh, Jesus Christ offers compassion and healing for them. And you'll recall that, that uh, several of, the, of those who disagree with him, uh, Pharisees and scribes and some others in the crowd, were so intent on following the letter of the law that they couldn't even care about those who were sick. And so Jesus made them stumble, or Jesus was that stumbling stone. And as they stumbled, or as they tripped over uh, the stone, tripped over him, um, it was a way to awaken them. It was a way to awaken them to what is the true meaning of the Sabbath law. It's not um, to, to exclude your neighbor, or to exclude those in need around you. Um, but to rely upon, to rest in the strength and love of God, right? And so that's what they missed. And so Jesus was that stumbling stone causing them to stumble or to trip over uh, the word of the law in order to show them what is the true meaning and substance of, of the law like the Sabbath law. So that's what that means. So now we go to Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And here we see God's righteousness is effected and exhibited in, in Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul reflects uh, God's own heart. He prays, the Apostle Paul prays, he says that he prays and desires that all may be saved, right? All of us pray that. And I hope we, all of us um, share that prayer, that all, all people, all people, uh, uh, particularly those whom we regard as as those uh, who perhaps we don't like or those who are not so likable, that we pray and hope and desire that all people, every single person on the face of the earth, are, are saved and are loved. That even though Israel, as well as Gentiles, have a zeal um, for God, that zeal needs to be enlightened. Okay? That needs to be enlightened. So even though that there was a misunderstanding, misinterpretation of the law, God never let go of Israel. God never let go of Israel. Israel is, is a beloved people. Um, and But the zeal that they have, the passion that people have to follow the law or perhaps to, um, to lord over the law, God desires that our zeal, our passion will be enlightened, will be transformed, will be redirected uh, towards, towards God himself, towards Jesus Christ. That we'll have a zealous passion for God, to pursue God, and to trust in God, to be zealous for one's own efforts for righteousness, 
one's own efforts to make things right means that they have not submitted to God's righteousness, right? If we are zealous for our own righteousness, if we're zealous for our own obedience, um, then it's just we are zealous for ourselves. We are zealous for the act of obedience and not zealous for God himself. And God desires that we be zealous for him, right? In other words, a focus on what we can do means we will lose sight of God himself and therefore not delight in God and in God's zeal for us. Look at verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul interprets Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. I invite you to look at Deuteronomy 30, where there uh, Moses was right in saying that those who keep the law will live by them. That's true. Moses said that those who keep the law will live by them. But what do we find? And what did Moses find? That in trying to keep the law, we can't. Right? And so the problem is that no one follows the law perfectly. Moses found that. Israel found that. We find that. And so those who trust by faith um, cannot call upon Christ by going up to heaven. Right? Faith doesn't say that I will try to reach for heaven. Uh, to try to reach for heaven is to say uh, essentially that I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to try to get up to heaven. I'm going to try to um, to reach for God. I'm going to try to do this or that when God is the one who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what that's saying, that whether we're thinking or acting as if that we can uh, climb up to heaven or somehow that we can summon Jesus from the dead, somehow as if we could control Jesus, that all those efforts, right, either to reach up to heaven or to call summon Jesus from the dead, we can't do that. Um, that is simply not what human beings can or should do, um, is what that text is essentially saying. And that we cannot control God. We cannot put ourselves in heaven on our own efforts. We cannot summon Jesus from the dead. Only God does that. Only God can effect righteousness. And so that's why in verse 8, look at Deuteronomy 30, again, verses 11 through 14, where it says there that God is not far off. Uh, God's commandment is not far off. That was the text in Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, that the law of God, the commandment of God, is in the hearts of, of God's people. And, and so that Paul interprets Deuteronomy there to say that the commandment or the word of God is not far off. Why? Because where is the word and the commandment? It has been given to us and is on our lips and in our hearts. And then he adds to that, he interprets that to say that when we confess Jesus as Lord, when we trust, when we place our heart in God, when we trust in God's heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. In other words, he connects Deuteronomy 30 that spoke about God's commandments, God's law being in, uh, not far away from God's people, Israel, because that word is in their hearts. And so the Apostle Paul connects that to say that yes, when we confess that word on uh, that Jesus Christ, uh, who is the word, uh, and that Jesus Christ was raised, that God raised him from the dead, that that confession, that affirmation, that trust uh, is God will use that uh, to show that he is far, he is near to us, that is not distant, not far off, but right in our hearts, right in our lives. Note there that pivot point that God raised, God raised him from the dead. That the focus 
is not so much on the event of Christ raising, that the event of Christ rising from the dead, the emphasis is not so much on the event, but on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. Why? Because you drive home the point that God is the one. God is the one who does it. God is the one who effects salvation. God is the one who justifies. God is the one who makes things happen. God is the one who raised his son Jesus by God's power, raised Jesus uh, from the dead. And so verses 10 through 13, trusting in Christ, the ability, the ability even to trust, the ability to believe. Remember, it comes, uh, faith is a gift from God himself. And so faith enables us to believe, to trust, to confess, uh, and that God is the one who gives that gift in order that we may trust in his son, in his son, Jesus Christ. And so it says there in verse 12 of chapter 10, God is Lord of all, both Israel and Gentiles. Therefore, God shows himself to be generous to all who call on him. We now look at then the last part in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, showing and emphasizing God's zeal. God sees to it that his word, his promise will be shared, will be proclaimed, it will be taught. That first section, verses 14 through 17, how will anyone hear unless someone proclaims? And so God uses his word to effect faith. Faith, So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Um, God will make sure that his word will go out. This is a reminder to the church at Rome, to all churches, to all believers, that we are called to proclaim the word of Christ. God is righteous. He is, he is covenantally faithful to keep his promises, to save and to reconcile. He will ensure that his word will go out, whether God is calling you, perhaps. God is calling us. God is calling me. God will ensure that his word will go out. He will call people. I mean, if people will resist or people are, are reluctant to share and proclaim the word of Christ, God will ensure that it will happen because when he intends for something to happen, he will make things happen. He will make sure his word will go out. And so that's what those verses are saying, verses 14 through 17. And then verses 18 through 21 of chapter 10, uh, it shows here uh, that although Israel, although many in Israel did not understand the purpose of God's law, um, and addressing, um, here addressing Israel that the Gentiles did not know the Holy Scriptures, but yet God showed himself to the Gentiles. Um, God showed himself that even though the people were not aware that, uh, that many didn't have the Mosaic law, uh, they didn't have the Ten Commandments, they didn't have the various festivals and rituals and feasts and so forth, that God, because God intends for all of humanity to be reconciled and to be saved, that God showed himself and demonstrated uh, that he is a generous God, that he is the generous God. And there in verse 21, uh, God is zealous. God is patient. We could see this, for instance, I, I put here, for, for example, in Matthew chapter 21 through 16. Remember that parable that Jesus taught about the uh, laborers in the vineyard? I invite you to look at Matthew 21 through 16 because that parable, I think, uh, shows in a, in a very brief way what is being uh, talked about here in these final verses of chapter 10, verses uh, uh, 18 through 21. Uh, you'll recall in that parable when Jesus teaches, uh, the, uh, there was a landowner and the landowner went out and invited uh, uh, people to work the vineyard. And 
there were different laborers who were hired, some in the morning, some at noontime, some at later in the day. And as each one uh, worked and worked at the end of the day, the landowner then paid them and they were paid all the same wage. And those who were hired earlier in the day objected and said, well, wait a minute, we've been working longer than these other people. Um, why are we being paid less than, than those others? Why are we all being paid the same? And the word of the landowner is instructive on this point. And this is the point of verses uh, 18 through 21, um, where the landowner says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? That's what's happening here in Romans 10, 18 through 21. Now, whether Gentiles were called later or some come to faith in Jesus Christ later, uh, perhaps much older than those who were you know, infants or, or who were younger, uh, in one sense, it doesn't matter because all of us receive equally the same love of God in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are zealous for us and for all of humanity. We're grateful, Lord, that as you intend for all to be saved, all to be reconciled, oh God, for all of us to receive the same inheritance in Jesus Christ, we're grateful for that. We're grateful, oh Lord, that you love us so much and you give us the gift of faith. Help us, Lord, to walk in that faith and to live and to delight in you, to be zealous for you, to be zealous for your love, to be zealous for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.